2: Yama, and welcome to TV Radio. Coming up in your program this Wednesday, the 19th of April, we'll be joined by Auntie Geraldine Atkinson, co-chair of Victoria's First People's Assembly. She's joining us as the term of the current assembly is soon coming to an end. And as we'll hear in our conversations, nominations are now open to all indigenous people in Victoria to nominate and participate in the upcoming electoral process to select people they want representing them in treaty negotiations with the Victorian government. On NITV Radio today, we also look at the ongoing parliamentary inquiry into the Indigenous Voice to Parliament, a process that is examining the proposed changes to Australia's constitution. We also have the story of former MP and ultra-marathon runner Pat Farmer in his efforts to run 14,000 kilometres across Australia, championing Voice to Parliament. This story is coming to you after the latest news, broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation. Petran Tungendamengaya. This bulletin: Prime Minister Tony Albanese has defended the wording of the proposed voice to Parliament ahead of consultations with traditional owners. The Victorian government is, have, is found to have pressured public officials, and Fox News and Dominion settle a defamation lawsuit in the U.S. for 1.17 billion dollars. Albanese has defended the wording of the proposed Indigenous Voice to Parliament, dismissing fears of possible High Court challenges. It comes as traditional owners from Far North Queensland and the 12 Strait Islands are due to give evidence as an inquiry into the proposed body resumes. Mr Albanese tells 2SM Sydney the prospect of of cases being brought by being brought before the courts, due to the wording, had been shot down by Australia's top constitutional law experts.
3: This is a legally sound proposition, and makes it very clear that Parliament's in charge. So there's no obligation, and there's certainly not an obligation uh, on the government uh, to agree. Uh, well, could- uh, to the voice, there is uh, there is though the provision uh, for the voice to be heard for at least the views to be put.
2: A First Nations Advisory Council has been established to help the NDIS better engage with Indigenous people as advocates call for major reforms. The federal government announced an overhaul of the National Disability Insurance Scheme yesterday. Making the scheme more accessible is one of Labour's aims, acknowledging First Nations people and those from migrant backgrounds who are underrepresented on the NDIS and receive less funding. Damien Griffiths is the CEO of the First Nations Disability Network.
3: There's at least 60,000 First Nations people with disability across Australia that are potentially eligible for the
2: scheme. What we're also not clear about is how you define participation. So it's not enough that you just have a plan done. We actually want to, that needs to be about, are people getting outcomes? Uh, Are they actually genuine participants in the sense of, Their lives are are changing for the better? Or is it simply a matter that they've had a plan done? The Aboriginal Council claims its resistance fighters deserve much greater recognition in the Australian War Memorial. Council Chairman Kim Beasley says the frontier wars need to be in the war memorial for the sake of completeness. He asked that the memorial was about the history of Australians at war. According to Beasley, greater recognition of the frontier wars in the war memorial would help address that and be an important part of truth-telling for the country as a whole. An anti-corruption investigation has found staff in the Daniel Andrews government exerted pressure on health department officials to award a $1.2 million contract to a health union. The Independent Broad Based Anti Corruption Commission released its Operation Dentry report today after investigating the awarding of the contract in the lead up to the November 2018 election. Violence against health workers was a growing problem at the time, and the Labour government had long promised to address it. The Health Workers' Union put in a pitch in June 2018 to run a staff training program to tackle the issue, with the government ultimately awarding it the contract on the eve of the election. There were no corruption findings against anyone in the report, but there were references to public offices. Mr Andrews says the staff members that were referred to in the report do not work with the government anymore, but he confirmed that he will chair the process to consider the findings. I am
4: accountable and fundamentally responsible for uh, driving a process to consider those 17 recommendations, to look at them very carefully, uh, to potentially further engage with IBAC to seek their advice uh, and then to respond uh, once that work has been done. Uh, I think we do have the time to get this right, and we
2: should. Premier Daniel Andrews added that the matter has not gone to Cabinet and will not go to Cabinet. The federal government has announced a new National Electric Vehicle Strategy, NVS, in a bid to get more environmentally friendly cars onto the nation's roads. It comes after after revelations that Australia is one of the few developed countries alongside Russia that has yet to develop fuel efficiency standards. One one of the NEVs goals is to make Australia a more approachable market for electric vehicle developers, which in turn will provide consumers with greater options. Minister for Climate Change Chris Bowen says the NEVS will help households with their cost of living expenses.
3: This is ultimately all about giving Australians better choices. Better choices of cars which are better for the climate and better to drive and more cost efficient. A petrol vehicle on average costs around $2,400 a year to drive. An electric vehicle costs around $400 a year to drive. So a saving of $2,000.
2: Approval levels for opposition leader Peter Dutton have plummeted in the wake of the Liberals rejecting the Indigenous voice. The latest Resolve strategic poll published by Nine saw Mr Dutton's personal approval rating fall from minus 11 to minus 28, the lowest figure since he became opposition leader. Labour has increased its primary vote from 39 to 42 percent, while the coalition has dropped from 30 to 28. Meanwhile, Anthony Albanese's personal approval rating has risen during the past month from 24 to 27 percent. The polling followed the Liberals' rejection of the proposal for the Indigenous Voice to Parliament and Executive Government, which will be put to the public at a referendum later this year. In the US, Fox News and Dominion voting systems, who were set to go to court regarding a defamation claim, have reached a settlement. Dominion has been seeking over $2 billion in retribution after Fox News repeatedly published false, st- false statements from politicians regarding voter fraud in the lead-up to the 2020 U.S. presidential election. Eventually, the two, co- the two companies decided to settle their grievances outside the courtrooms with Fox paying Dominion $1.17 billion in damages. CEO of Dominion, John Poulos, says the harm to his company's reputation can never truly be undone.
0: Fox and Dominion have reached an historic settlement. Fox has admitted to telling lies about Dominion that caused enormous damage to my company, our employees, and the customers that we serve. Nothing can ever make up for that. Throughout this process, we have sought accountability and believe the evidence brought to light through this case underscores the consequences of spreading lies.
2: A Russian judge ruled yesterday that American journalist Ivan Keshkovich must remain behind bars on espionage charges. Keshkovich and the U.S. government vehemently denied the allegations, officially declaring that he has been wrongfully accused. The Wall Street Journal reporter that the first U.S. correspondent is the Cold War to be detained in Russia on spying allegations, and his arrest rattled journalists in the country and elicited outrage outrage in the West. Keskovich could face up to 20 years in prison if convicted. Fellow Wall Street Journal reporter and Keskovich's lawyer Maria Korchagina says there have been no indications of violations from the Russian side.
1: Uh, There is no complaints to administration of detention center from his side because everybody is intelligent uh, to him uh, and there is no violation from administration of the system.
2: Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky says he has had a phone call with US Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy and invited him to visit Ukraine. The call took place while Mr. Zelensky was visiting the, Bolt- the Boltava region. During the conversation, he thanked Mr. McCarthy for the US U- uh, for America's unflinching support of Ukraine and its fight against the Russian invasion.
3: Важливо, <laughs> It is important that we do not lose a single day in communication with our partners, and it was from here, from Poltava, that I had a conversation with Speaker of the House of Representatives of the U.S. Congress, Kevin McCarthy. I thanked him for the unflinching bipartisan support. Right after a trip to the front line, I briefed Mr. McCarthy on what is happening now at the front on our defense needs and capabilities.
2: Mr Zelensky also raised the issue of F-16 aircraft, long-range weapons, additional artillery and the tribunal regarding Russia's aggression. And Back Home, a new report by the Children Australia has found that youth injustice systems in all states and territories are contributing to child-right abuses. Western Australia, Queensland and the Northern Territory were identified as the worst offenders due to their use of adult facilities to detain children and the use of excessive force and restraint. The report recommends an urgent, an urgent nationwide overhaul, including the introduction of national youth justice standards, independent oversight of youth detention facilities, and raising the minimal age of criminal responsibility to at least 14 years. The report also suggests that detention should only be used as a last resort when all other intervention efforts have failed and to sport in football AC Milan and the current trophy holders Real Madrid have become the first teams to advance to this season's Champions League semi-finals the Rossoneri were able to hold off a fellow Italian Napoli for a dramatic 1-1 draw that saw them advance thanks to last week's 1-0 win at the San Siro. Meanwhile, the Spaniards doubled their wins over Chelsea, beating them 2-0 at the Stamford Bridge with a brace by Brazilian winger Rodrigo. The last two teams to complete this year's Champions League Final Four will become known from tomorrow's return games between Bayern against Manchester City and Inter Milan against Benfica. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny, 33 degrees, Perth, sunny, 26, Adelaide, partly cloudy, 19, Melbourne, a shower or two, clearing, 17, Hobart, showers, easing, 14, Albury, Wodonga, partly cloudy, 21, Canberra, mostly sunny, 22, Wollongong late showers. 24, Sydney much the same. 24, Newcastle partly cloudy. 25, Brisbane partly cloudy. 27, Townsville sunny. 30, Cairns a shower or two on the top of 30. Alice Springs sunny day ahead. 24 degrees. Darwin sunny as well at the top of 32, and the Torres Strait Islands are partly cloudy day and the top of 28 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News.
0: NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online.
2: I am Bertrand Tungandame and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Wednesday afternoon. Coming up next in your program, well, we'll explore the electoral process to elect representatives to Victoria's First People's Assembly 2.0. We also explore consultations currently underway around the wording of the voice referendum. We also have a story of Pat Farmer as he's embarked on a 14,000-kilometre run across Australia championing Indigenous voice to Parliament. First, a call to all First Nations people in Victoria to have their say in voting for the First People's Assembly 2.0. You're
0: with NITV Radio.
2: Auntie Jardine Atkinson, co-chair of Victoria's First People's Assembly, is joining us as the first term of the First People's Assembly is soon coming to an end, and nominations for the next term are now open. Auntie Jardine, the First People's Assembly represents Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people on their journey to treaty in Victoria. And you're urging Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander residents of Victoria to nominate and have their say in uh, the upcoming elections, especially that the deadlines are quickly approaching.
4: We've been working over the last three and a half years, well, it'll be three and a half years in June, is when our term finishes, because, as you said, nominations have opened. So on Monday they opened, which was the 3rd of April, and they'll close on the 24th of April. Then after that, voting will occur. So voting is going to start from... um, the 13th of May to the 3rd of June, 2023. What we want to do is we want, you know, people to nominate. Um, if, if they want, we want, you know, traditional owners from Victoria to put their hand up and uh, to represent their people on First Pem- First Peoples in Victoria because it's really important that this is the next stage. We've done all the work in preparing the Aboriginal community in Torres Strait Islander community living in Victoria to be involved in the negotiations for treaties. So the Assembly will negotiate a statewide treaty and then what will happen is there will be localised local traditional owner treaties. So they're the things that are going to take place and that's what will happen when this next iteration, which we're calling Assembly 2.0 because we were the first, and the next is Assembly 2.0, So they will then be involved in ensuring that treaties are then negotiated with the Aboriginal community, Torres Strait Islander community, with the state government here in Victoria.
2: It's a very, very uh, important process uh, that uh, really people have been calling for for many, many decades and finally things are moving. Uh, It seems like a big leap forward uh, compared to what's happening in other states.
4: Well it certainly has been a big leap forward and what you're saying is right you know it has been called for generations you know for decades and that people have wanted um, a treaty Uh, you know wanted it nationally Uh, but we were were fortunate here in in Victoria that we've got a progressive government and we went to government through um, community forums, community meetings and asks that Uh, You know that this having the ability to negotiate treaties and having a democratically elected council is really about ensuring that we do have that self determination to make sure that what we're doing is, is negotiating what's going to to be to get better outcomes for our mob here in Victoria. You know, it's going to, we'll be able to, to negotiate, particularly with the statewide treaty things, you know, things that are going to be about looking at, you know, sort of justice in particular. It's, it's been a focus here in Victoria about get, creating change there. We want to, to raise, in making sure that they raise uh, the age of responsibility to 14. It's, it's for 10 years old, and 10 years old don't deserve to be locked up. In jails, they need to be in school and kept in communities. It's about looking at you know the bail justice laws because we've had things that have happened where you know sort of deaths in custody that people have died in remand on bail because so they weren't they were refused. So justice is really important about having an impact, an important impact on that. About looking at you know really more employment, better education, looking at affordable housing. And better health issues. So a whole range of things that, that we're, we're going to be able to have a say in policies and strategies within those areas that affect our communities and making sure that, you know, we're, we're talking to government and we're, we're, we're voicing what we need to government to, for change in those areas.
2: Yeah. Since uh, the last uh, installment, uh, since uh, you said uh, Fast People's Assembly, Point One, uh, came into being and started sitting and working on uh, the road towards treaty, we've had uh, a census, uh, so... Uh, the population uh, First Nations people would have increased or decreased in the state depending on what the census uh, results would be. Is the new assembly going to have the same number of representatives or it will change according to the to reflect the reality of the census?
4: It it will have. There will be an increase in the seats within the metropolitan Melbourne area because that's where the biggest population is and that's where the, the biggest increase was so they'll it'll, it'll be increasing seats in in that area but within the region isn't east with northeast northwest southeast and southwest it'll still remain there will be three uh, general uh, elected seats but in those areas we also have um, traditional owner groups that are part, that are registered aboriginal parties that are part, come under the cultural heritage act here in victoria and that uh, they have 10 seats uh, there, there are ten of those. So they'll have be represented by uh, those ten seats will be represented by one of their nominees. They'll nominate a, a representative from their traditional owner group to uh, to participate in First Peoples Assembly of Victoria. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. You no, know, a very important process, and uh, so the elections uh, themselves would take place between the thirteenth of May and the third of June, which is a, yes. a little over two weeks time, a two mm-hmm. weeks period. Why are the elections held on a long period? Usually, elections take place one day, but these ones <laughs> will take place in two weeks. No,
4: because it's it, it, it's it's you know what we what we've done and all that we've done, and even with with. The entity that we established, which was First People Assembly of Victoria, which is what we had to do, uh, that was, you know, we, that was our job to ensure that we set that entity up. And what we wanted it to, to, to be was be, you know, culturally relevant and appropriate to our people. So what we wanted to do was ensure that, you know, so that all the work that we were doing and all the policies and all the strategies that we were put, putting in place reflect Aboriginal law, L-O-R-E, Aboriginal law and Aboriginal culture. And one of the things that we thought, and you said that, are voting usually is a one-day process. But with our mobs, we have to get out to communities and make sure that they're voting. And that that's what uh, our, our uh, engagement officers will be doing with our operational staff. will be getting out to all the regions throughout Victoria and that'll take, and that takes time. People can vote, they cannot either vote, you know, sort of, bet. we'll have polling booths in those areas so they can vote in person. They'll be able to vote uh, online, which is, which will be something new. And, uh, of course, they can do postal voting as well. But it's making sure that what we do is, is we capture and give all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the state to, um, to be able to vote. In our elections, because the more people that vote, the, the stronger we get. So that we have, you know, sort of, we really want to encourage people to enrol, and we want to encourage people to make sure that they vote, because that gives the Aboriginal community, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community here in victorious strength.
2: And uh, who can vote?
4: All a- Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Uh, So it's not just the traditional owners from Victoria, but it's all Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander, Victorians that have lived here, you know, sort of the past three years. People, we've got people that have been born that aren't traditional owners from Victoria, but that, you know, from interstate, but they've called Victoria home all their lives. So we don't want to exclude them. They have an opportunity to have input into uh, our treaty negotiations. They all have a and they'll have, be able to have a vote to vote for a representative who they think will be the best job for them during those treaty negotiations.
2: This uh, treaty, Victoria Treaty process is uh, progressing very well, going well in uh, the context of the state but in the background we have a voice to parliament and uh, whether the various campaigns in favour or the two campaigns in favour or against, especially the one against, mm-hmm, has uh, yeah. has a kind of um, sparked other discussions. What comes first, a treaty or voice, on a state level, that can be understandable. But when you mix all this, this can create a bit of noise and confusion in the as uh, uh, Well,
4: we, well, we hope we hope not. We hope not because they, although they're two separate, they're, they're, they're two separate um, pieces really they're about the same thing and you know what we did was we, we instituted that voice which would be the First Peoples Assembly of Victoria that was our voice and then the second thing was about working then towards how we then progressed with the treaty and in that process also uh, what we were able to do we were able to get a truth telling Royal Commission uh, agreed to by government so you know what we've done is here in Victoria has been voice truth, voice, truth, and treaty. It, and it's similar to what you know sort of what uh, people are running, you know, particularly in relation to the Uluru statement from the heart. and we, and there is a really big uh, i I personally uh, agree and uh, would and want to campaign for uh, the federal voice because i think that's you know that's really important and it's really important that we have the ability to from what we've done here in victoria to feed into that process
2: yeah especially victoria is more advanced than the federal level cuz uh,
4: what you But we'll get there the yeah, federal yeah. level will get there yeah, yeah yeah and i think the referendum is going to be say, very important and i think that you know the recognition that it need that's recognition of first peoples of this country need to be in the Constitution, and we also need that voice that's enshrined in the Constitution as well, because that's where you know we're going. There's, there's, the, the gains are going to be made. Precisely what we want to do here in Victoria, we want that to happen uh, nationally as well.
2: Auntie Geraldine Atkinson, thank you very much for coming to us today.
4: Thank you very much for talking to me about it and about making sure that we highlight, you know, that we are going to elections uh, for First Peoples Assembly here in Victoria within the next few months. Thank you.
0: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
2: Back. You're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from NAM on the Kulin Nation this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Now, as you heard in our conversation with uh, Auntie Geraldine Atkinson just before the break, well, uh, Victoria's First People's Assembly 1.0, uh, their term is uh, soon coming to an end, and nominations are now open for mob across Victoria to nominate for the next assembly and they'll have to vote in that assembly for people who will negotiate a treaty on their behalf. Most importantly, Antijardine highlighted that nominations will close in a few days' time, in less than a week's time, exactly on the 24th of April, and elections will be held over a two-week period between the 13th of May and the 3rd of July. Coming up next, we still stay in politics, but on a national level, with consultations currently underway with the traditional owners over the wording of the upcoming referendum on Indigenous Voice to Parliament. But first, Jessica Mauboy in Because...
0: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
2: Now, a parliamentary inquiry into Indigenous Voice to Parliament has begun examining the proposed changes to Australia's founding legal document. The Cross-Party Committee is examining the wording of the amendment. Kira Haynes reports.
5: The first of five public hearings that form part of a parliamentary inquiry looking at the wording of the Indigenous voice referendum question has heard from legal experts, campaigners and former journalists. The first hearing was held in Canberra, with others set to take place in Orange, Cairns and Perth. The voice referendum will be held between October and December this year, with the inquiry's work critical and necessary before a firm date can be set. The Chair of the Cross-Party Parliamentary Committee, Labor Senator Nita Green, explains the task before them. The legislation itself is just a few pages long and the substantive provision in the bill contains just 92 words. But these words matter. In terms of their drafting, they have a very long past and if the Australian public agree to include them in the Constitution, they will have a very long future. The inquiry has heard from legal experts, Uluru statement campaigners, former judges and practising barristers. Pat Anderson is a prominent human rights advocate and co-chair of the Uluru Dialogues. She says the message from Indigenous people across the country has been consistent in dozens of dialogues she has joined on constitutional
4: recognition. This process is unprecedented in our nation's history and it's the first time a constitutional convention has been convened with and for First Peoples. The Dialogues engage 1,200 Aboriginal on Torres Strait Islander delegates, an average of 100 delegates for, from each Dialogue out of a population of approximately six, 600,000 people nationally. I just wanted to stress that it's really important that you understand this process. We didn't dream it up. This is your process over nearly 12 years.
5: Twelve years, 11 reports and eight processes have led to one proposed change to the Constitution to enshrine a body called the Voice, with Parliament to have the power to make laws with respect to its composition, functions, powers and procedures. A key sticking point is Clause 2, which allows the Voice to make representations to Parliament and executive government on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Conservatives believe it could lead to High Court challenges and may delay important government decisions. Barrister Louise Clegg explains. Executive uh, government should be removed if, if that is a decision that is being looked at. It, it is um, always... The, the entrenchment should be more minimal to be safer and then one can build a statutory framework with a bigger um, rights... Um, and a serious um, statutory voice around that. There's no doubt that that could happen. Um, But the entrenchment should be smaller. But constitutional experts argue the wording is legally sound. Constitutional law professor Anne Toomey says the High Court is not in the business of trying to destroy government.
4: The reason for leaving it broad was to avoid the justiciability problem because we didn't want people running off to court saying, oh, you can't say this and you can say that and having fights about it. It was deliberately made broad so it wouldn't be an issue that was about to be litigated. The constraint on it was always intended to be a political constraint, that the people themselves, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, would want this body to be directed at the things that are important to them and that's where the constraint is.
5: Liberal MPs are also pressing on the issue on the scope of The Voice. During the first day of public hearings, Liberal MP Keith Wallahan raised those concerns with constitutional law professor Megan Davis, who is a key architect of the Uluru Statement from the Heart.
3: Do you accept that the right includes laws and policies in the following areas? Uh, Health care, tax and national security. Uh, what is your view on those three areas?
5: I think in relation to the words you're referring to, it's going to be context specific. It will make representations in, in relation to matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And that is a decision for the voice to make. This six-week committee process has revealed the nuances which come with amending the constitution, Ultimately, its success will come down to a simple message to persuade the country. One prominent member of the government's referendum working group made an impassioned contribution. Professor Marcia Langton was one of the first witnesses called before the joint select committee hearing into the Voice to Parliament referendum on Friday. She believes Australians will support the Voice, seeking to unburden themselves from the
4: past. And most Australians are becoming more aware of this and uh, I think do not want uh, to pass on to their children the terrible feeling of boasting about a nation that's basically built on removing the Indigenous people and disempowering them. The committee
5: is due to hand down its report on May 15. Kira Hain, SBS News.
0: Visit sbs.com.au slash nitvradio.
2: Welcome back. Now, former MP and uh, marathon runner Pat Farmer is aiming to run more than 14,000 kilometers in support of the proposal for an indigenous voice to parliament. The run actually started on Monday, April 17, in the country's southernmost capital, Hobart, and will cycle the country over the next six months before finishing at Uluru. Kuntamari Croft reports.
1: He runs tens of thousands of kilometres around the world, raising funds for charities, including the Red Cross. But Pat Farmer says his latest venture is his most important.
3: It's run for the voice, to support the voice referendum and to support the yes vote, to try and help all Australians know and understand the importance of this referendum uh, and to encourage them to get behind that in a very practical way. So we're very, very fortunate that uh, at at this point in time, it's up to the people. It's a people's vote, not a politician's vote. So it's up to the people to get educated and to know and understand what this referendum's really all about, and that's about equality for all Australians.
1: Pat Farmer is a former Tasmanian Liberal MP and an ultra-marathon runner. He's embarking on a 14,400-kilometre run around Australia, beginning in Tasmania to raise support for The Voice. The Tasmanian leg of the run will take about two weeks. Mr Farmer will then fly to Perth before running up to the west coast to Broome and over to Darwin before cutting across to Townsville and heading down the east coast. He will run through Canberra, Melbourne and Adelaide before finishing at Uluru in October. Rodney Dillon is a Palawa Elder and Chairman of the Aboriginal Heritage Council. He says the voice to Parliament is an important step for Australia.
2: We want to be there when decisions have been made about our
1: people for us. Uh, We want to be there and understand where this goes and,
0: and why our people are in such a low socioeconomic group, why we're at the bottom
2: of every pile there is in social orders, how we address that. This is one of those ways that we can start to address that. This won't be the finish, but this will be the start of having a voice in Parliament I've been able to be there when the decisions are made with executive government. I think it's a very important step within the, within us as a country.
1: Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has also expressed his support for the cause.
3: I thank you for everything you're doing to support this cause and to inspire Australians to vote yes, to vote yes to a better future, a more reconciled future between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians.
1: Despite the support on show in Hobart, not all in the Tasmanian Aboriginal community support The Voice, with some arguing for a treaty instead. Nala Mansell is a spokeswoman for the Tasmanian Aboriginal Centre. She explains.
4: We need to be talking about... White people making negotiations with Aboriginal people to negotiate their rights to be here. And we need to talk about sharing some of that power and some of the wealth that white people have gained from the invasion of Aboriginal lands. The voice to Parliament ignores all of that.
1: Mr Farmer will run the distance in just six months, running up to 80 kilometres or almost two marathons each day. He says he's confident his body will hold up for one more run.
3: I can't see myself ever doing anything more significant than this. And so, yeah, I truly believe that this is this will probably be the last major run I ever do. And if that's the case, then I want to make sure that it's a success.
1: Pat Farmer won't be running alone, inviting people to join him along the journey, running for as little or as long as they like. Kunta Murray-Croft's... SBS News
0: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
2: Well, that's all we've got for you on uh, NITV Radio this uh, Wednesday afternoon I am Bertrand thanking you for your company today Till next time, bye for now look